hey, as y'all get settled in, um, I wanted to share a little bit with you about uh, Christmas at the lawyer's house growing up, and you have to promise not to judge my parents. So, um, I, I, as we got ready, as we continued in this Advent season, as we think about Christmas, um, I, was, I was asking myself, I was reflecting on what were some signs that it was Christmas at the lawyer's, and uh, <laughs> here were the first two things that came to my mind. Uh, number one was this. Uh, growing up with four boys, life was, it was always a little bit crazy, but even in a, a crazy house, there were some signs that it was Christmas. One was mom was yelling at one of us to get the tree box out of the basement, um, but that usually didn't happen until at least December 20th. So all these people who are posting pictures of their Christmas trees up before Thanksgiving, that was like foreign territory for me. Uh, December 20th was usually when mom started yelling at us about that. And then the, the second thing that I remember was that dad was grumpier than usual because Christmas presents cost money. And, <laughs> and so uh, the budget guy, uh, he was always a little bit grumpier around Christmas because Christmas presents cost money. But uh, there, was some, there was some good things too. And there was one sign that I always loved about Christmas and my family wanted to share a little bit of that with you today. I could always count on this. Mom made caramel corn. Mom made caramel corn. And I loved mom's caramel corn. Now, there are some disclaimers as y'all get a little baggie of caramel corn today, all right? Um, one is that know that there's more to the story than just getting a little baggie of caramel corn. Two is um, I am not my mom. So I learned how to make caramel corn this week. Um, so that you guys are like, this is a trial run in mass production. So um, this is good. Yeah. Don't, yeah, listen, if you haven't taken a bite of the caramel corn, don't clap yet, <laughs> all right? So don't judge me, and if you don't like it, don't tell me, because it's my mom's caramel corn. You can't mess that up for me, um, all right? So, so that's, that's caramel corn. That's Christmas, and uh, we love Christmas here at Christ Community because we get to celebrate the one person that, that this thing is all about, right? Jesus. He came. He was God. He was man. He gives us comfort. And today, we, we want to press into this idea that, that Christ came to give comfort to the uncomfortable. Christ came to give comfort to the uncomfortable. And uh, we're, we're going to do that, and, and we're going to do it as we think about Him coming. We're going to think about what it looks like to prepare for His coming, all right? So this week, uh, actually a week ago today, uh, our family was getting ready for Christmas at our house. And we were doing that because we had people coming to our house on Sunday evening, which meant all the decorations had to get out, and the tree had to get up. Actually, the tree had been up, but there was nothing on it. That's how it goes in our house. So we had to get all those decorations up. All the stuff had to come out. But my favorite part has always been, my favorite part has always been setting out my nativity scene. So um, just a fun little fact in life, Caitlin and I both uh, got nativities as young children, and they were the Fontanini, like they were the same set. So we get to put those together, and we got married. It was all kinds of fun and, you know, whatever. But this past week, we were doing that. We were getting our, our Fontanini set out, and we were trying to decide where we are going to put the nativity. And we decided to set it up on the table in our little foyer area this year. So uh, we got a picture of this table, a little Fontanini set up right there as you come in the door. 
you know, all the, all the what, the, what do they say now, all the feels, right? So you walk into the, to the house, and there's the nativity. And there it is. It's picturesque, right? Except for if you look down at the bottom, I don't have any baseboard or trim around my walls yet because we're remodeling our house. So, you know, there's a little dose of real life in there as well. So we, uh, we get all the Christmas decorations out on Sunday afternoon. We, we get them all up, and of course, you know, everything's ready for Sunday night. And then Monday morning happens. So Monday morning, everybody has to go back to school. Everybody has to go back to work. All the regular routines reinstall themselves. And what you don't see on this picture of the table is that this is the table. The table that catches 90% of the junk at the lawyer household, right? Everybody, do you have that table? Anybody with me? I see a few hands, some nodding heads. Like, All right, we have that table. So this is the table that catches permission slips, homework, coloring sheets from church. Sorry, Katie. But it just, it just happens, right? Like it catches everything. Junk mail, the stuff that we don't want to forget when we leave the house, the stuff that we were supposed to give back to people six months ago. This, this table catches all of those things. And so we're running around our house on Monday morning, and I'm getting ready, and I set my iPad and my coffee on the table just like usual, and I just go on about my morning. And um, as you can see, about the only place to sit it is like right there front and center. So I'm going about my morning, and it gets to 7.30, which means I have approximately nine minutes to get Tinley out of our house and driven to Painted Stone before I have to go sign her in it. Oh, I hate tardies. It's the worst part of elementary kids, right? So I've, I've, we're on the clock. I'm rushing everybody out. Come on, come on, come on. we got to go. Get in the car, get in the car, get in the car. And I rush by, and I go to grab my iPad and my coffee. And you know you have those moments when the Lord just smacks you, and you're like, daggone it. Like that. There he, like he's, he is there. Like, I don't know. It's crazy. Here was the idea that hits me. Our family knows all about getting ready for Christmas. But we're terrible at getting ready for Christ. We know how to prepare for Christmas, but we don't know how to prepare for Christ, right? I have my routine down for the morning, to the minute. I know how to get the decorations out. I know where they are in their tubs, and like everything is planned. I know what decorations are supposed to be put up each year. I know what snacks to make. I know what plans to confirm so that Christmas happens like it's supposed to. I know which family members I need to call twice to make sure that they actually make it to Christmas on time. Right? Like we know all these things in terms of getting ready for Christmas. Uh, and, and here's the thing, that most of the time, all of that takes front and center, right? It, it just becomes another thing that we pile in front of the, the picture of Christ being born and coming into this world. We know how to prepare for Christmas, but we don't know how to prepare for Christ. So let me ask you a question. What if Jesus were coming for Christmas? Like what if in 15 days he was coming to your house to share Christmas Day with your family? This isn't prediction or, prof or prophecy. It's nothing else. Like it's just a hypothetical, all right? But go with me. What if Jesus were coming to your house for Christmas? Some of you are adding lists tasks to your list right now. You're like, I've got several things that I need to do if Christ is actually going to be at my house for Christmas. I've got to do certain things to get my house ready, right? Maybe, maybe some of you, you're thinking, 
I'm not sure I want Jesus to come to my house, whether it's, I don't know, too big, too small, whatever, you, you have insecurities about that. Uh, maybe there's a question in your head of like, well, what family traditions would I want Christ to be a part of if he's there? If Christ is actually going to come to my house, what are those family traditions that I love doing that I would love to have Jesus be a part of? Or if you're like me, maybe your question is, how in the world am I going to hide Jesus' presence from him when he's omnipresent? Right? Like he's going to know where I hide the presence. There's no getting around this. And, and I think as we really allow ourselves to think about what it would be like to have Christ come into our homes and into our lives and, and into our families for Christmas, some of our expectations, some of our hopes turn into anxieties and angst. Right? Last week, Jeff talked about eagerly hoping, even expecting Christ to come. He reminded us, right, that God is this highly relational God who wants to be with us and, and that it's us who struggles at relationships. That it's our messiness, it's our sin that keeps us from having that right relationship with God. And he reminded us that to live a gospel-centered life is to expect Jesus to be changing us. It's to expect change to be happening in our lives. You know, so we come to this Christmas season and we like the thought of, of Jesus coming again. We look at our world, we think about all the difficulties and the stresses and the anxieties and the troubles and the injustices, and we like the thought of Jesus coming again. We even long for it, right? Oh, to have Jesus back here with us again. But then when we think about it a little more realistically, when we think about Jesus, who is God and man, coming into our lives it pinches us. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable. We begin thinking about the state of our own lives. Are we really ready for Christ to come back? Are we really ready for him to come back? We begin thinking about our loved ones, right? Having guests at family Christmas is stressful already, but imagine that guest being Jesus. It's like, Lord Jesus, come back, just not too quickly. Right? Make sure that I have dinner all the way set out before you show up. I don't want to be late on the mashed potatoes. Right? We begin thinking about all that we want to accomplish in this life, and the, and the thought of Jesus coming at Christmas brings all those things quickly into our crosshairs. All of a sudden, we think more, and we're forced to decide, what is it that's most important? What is it that is God calling me to, and that, that he's placed on my life, that I feel an urgency to do and to accomplish how am I serving the mission? We know how to prepare for Christmas, but do we know how to prepare for Christ? We know how to prepare for Christmas, but do we know how to prepare for Christ? Do we know how to get ready for him coming back again? I believe that reading Isaiah 40 this morning uh, can change our answer to that question. And so we're going to walk through the first 11 verses, just a couple at a time, as we think about what it looks like to prepare for Christ's coming. And, and we're going to do that because we believe that God's Word is, is true, it's inspired, that it's God's Word to us, that it's eternal, and, uh, and we're going to use it as our guide this morning. And so Isaiah begins in chapter 40, verse 1, and he says, Comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, 
that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Comfort. It's a great word. It's a great thought. And the truth of the gospel today, if you don't know Jesus, you need to know this about Jesus, that Jesus brings comfort. And then when Jesus came, he brought comfort to the uncomfortable. See, God is promising comfort through the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah is writing his words from God to the people of Israel, who at the time of this writing are exiled from Jerusalem, from from their hub, they are disconnected to it, entire, disconnected from it entirely. They're hopeless, and they're searching for anything that will bring them a bit of peace. Maybe that description could describe where your life is right now or where your life has been at some point in 2017. You feel exiled, disconnected from the people you love, from the God that you serve. And for us, this season of Christmas promises peace, right? Sure, it's madness, right? It's madness getting ready for Christmas. But at the end of all that, there's this special time in the middle of it all where you end up sitting together with your family and you're just reveling in the beautiful mystery of it all. But this entire passage in Isaiah 40 is foretelling the coming of the baby Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one. And it reminds us that when Jesus comes, he's bringing comfort. And what we forget is that this is true eternally. In other words, when Jesus comes again, as Scripture promises, he's bringing comfort for for us, for his people. And in this first couple of verses, we see some signs that God gives to the Israelite people that tell them that Jesus has arrived. And, And as we look at those signs, we realize that we can see some of those things being true. The first is that warfare has ended, right? He says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. You know, when you look back at Jerusalem for years and generations prior to Jesus' coming, Jerusalem had been a volatile and violent place. Kingdoms had fought over this location and, and peace was not even really a part of their vocabulary. And then you enter Jesus. And as we look back historically, Jerusalem is at peace and becomes a central place in the ministry of Jesus. It gives a whole other realm to this idea that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And with his presence, Jerusalem finds peace. Warfare ends in Jerusalem when Christ is present. In John 14, I love what Jesus says to his disciples, and it still rings true for us here today. He says, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. That sounds pretty awesome. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. John 14, verse 27. You know, there's many things that we face in this world, and, and a lot of times we can reconcile what's happening outside of us, and we can reconcile what's happening in the world when we think of Christ. But for many of us, there are these internal conflicts, these internal wars that we all face. Decisions between right and wrong, decisions about relationships, decisions about the direction that we will take in life, things that we just can't seem to separate, whether or not we should give up on someone or something or keep going with them. And the only way to end a war that has raged inside of us for a long time is to invite the Prince of Peace into the middle of that situation through prayer. To allow him to change us, to allow him to to bring a peace that the world cannot give to us 
And so I ask you, what warfare is there in your life that you would love to see ended? As you think back over this year, as you think back over what God is doing in your life right now, what warfare is there in your life that you would love to see ended? Jesus must come into the middle of that warfare. In the middle of that warfare, you must believe something different in your head. You must do something different with your actions. And you must want something different with your heart. And here's the thing. Your strength and ability to do those together is directly related to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Out of our own effort, we may be able to do one of those things better than the other. We may be able to even try to do a couple of them. But oftentimes the synergy of, of believing and acting and feeling all one is tied to the way that we love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who told us that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Only he has the ability to change us and to end warfare inside of us. But ending warfare was not all that, that Christ's coming would do for the people of Jerusalem or for us. Isaiah goes on to say that iniquity is pardoned, that their iniquity would be pardoned. What does that mean? Iniquity is our sin, our wrongdoing, right? And he says that it would be pardoned. Now, there's a difference between our sins being pardoned and our sins being paid for. So let's think about our sins being pardoned first, and then we'll talk about how they get paid for. Caitlin, um, Caitlin coaches cheerleading, as many of you know. And one of the uh, benefits of being married to the cheer coach is that when we go to sporting events, um, I am pardoned, right, because I'm the coach's husband. So we'll walk into sporting events, and I'm, I just walk right in on her coattails. I don't think twice about it, and I'm in for free. Nobody cares. I'm pardoned. I don't have to, I don't have to mess with any of that. This past week, um, I had to run an errand, so I dropped Caitlin off at the game, and uh, I went and ran my errand, and I came back, and as I'm walking in, I begin to get really anxious, because I realized I was going to have to face the ticket takers without my pardoning person, right? There's like a moral dilemma rising up in me now, right? So I walk in the door, and I'm like, I don't, like, I don't have an excuse. My ticket isn't pardoned, right? And I realized my ticket wasn't pardoned, but my ticket also wasn't paid for because I didn't pay for it, right? So uh, there's a difference between our ticket uh, being pardoned and our ticket being paid for. Here's the beauty and the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't just pardon our sins. He paid for them. He paid for the dead. And if we don't live as though both are true, then we're not living a life that's focused on Christ. Jesus doesn't just pardon our sins. He pays for them. And he goes on to say that, right? He says that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, this word double implied a couple of things, as the authors would have written. In one, it's that most debts would have been double their cost. In other words, in that time, if you sinned, typically to pay back for that sin, you would have had to pay double, do something twice as much. But it's also a literary term that implied he was going to give you everything you needed to pay for the debt of your sins. In other words, Christ has you covered, right? Christ has you covered. I love the way that it's summed up in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere, with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. In other words, you were covered in perpetuity, forever, 
eternally pardoned and paid for. So let's think about this for a minute. In this verse here at the beginning of Isaiah 40, God was promising the Israelites more peace than their brains could have ever imagined. No more war, a pardoning from their sins, and payment for their debt of their sins. This seemed like a paradise to the Israelites who were currently exiles, right? They're banished from their country and they're in captivity. And Jesus is, and, and God is saying to them, no more war, your sins are paid for, and the debt is covered. All of this gave the Israelites great comfort. It gave them comfort both in that moment, knowing that they had something to look forward to, but it also gave them great comfort to know that they had signs to be watching for. And so when Jesus came on that first Christmas, we can just begin to imagine, to, to fathom this great peace that was sweeping over the nation of Israel because it was coming true right before their eyes. Warfare was ending. Sins were being pardoned and paid for. Peace was here. But here's the tension. When Isaiah wrote these words, peace had not yet come. It was only something that they could look forward to. How were they supposed to get ready for the coming of the Messiah? How were they to prepare for Christ's coming? You see, the tension that the Israelites have here in Isaiah 40 is maybe the same tension that we face today in that we know how to get ready for the season of Christmas, but we struggle to get ready for Christ's coming into our own lives. What were they to do between the time that they heard these words and the time that he actually came? And more importantly to us, what are you and I to do between hearing the gospel and Jesus returning? How do we prepare for Christ? So this week, as I was reflecting on this passage and thinking about all this, I was thinking about my mom's caramel corn. <clears throat> and it hit me. This is one of my favorite signs of Christmas, right? Like it was one of my favorite things that told me Christmas is here. But I had no clue how to make caramel corn. So on Monday, I sent my mom and my dad a text, and I was like, I need the recipe for caramel corn. And uh, from that moment on Monday, she's like, she sends me a text back, and she's like, uh, I don't have it with me, but I'll send it to you tonight. And like with an exclamation point, like she's all excited. I'm going to make her caramel corn. And so I spend this whole week, um, honestly, just thinking about, can I, could I, like, could we pull this off? Could we hand everybody a bag of caramel corn? Uh, what is this going to look like? I ask, I ask the people in the office, like, how do, we, how do we pull this off? I'm thinking about what I need to get on my shopping list. Honestly, one of my biggest struggles with it was this. You have to have, like, the old school paper grocery bags for, to make it. And I was like, I hope Kroger has enough of those old school paper grocery bags because you don't see them anymore, right? So I'm thinking, I'm preparing all these things in my mind. I'm trying to get ready. I get the recipe, and... Um, and I got to learn the recipe. I got to figure out what I do. It only took me two trips to Kroger to get enough stuff. Like I only forgot things once, which I, that was a win for me. It's like I'm in the kitchen all the time. Uh, and, and, then, uh, and then I wanted to be able to share that part of Christmas with you, right? I want to be able to share that part of Christmas with you. And um, here's the thing. I didn't expect this to be true. But as we got into this process, I realized that that process of sharing the caramel corn with you looked a whole lot like the process for getting ready for Christ to come. The process of getting that ready and being able to share with you looked a whole lot like the process that we as Christians should engage with in terms of getting ready for Christ to come into our own lives and being able to share the gift of Christ with others. 
But we're not preaching from caramel corn. We're preaching from the Word of God. And that's what we see here in Isaiah 40, right? So the first step was simply this, to prepare the way. To prepare the way. Isaiah 40, we continue in this passage. It says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now this prophecy was, was fulfilled, was specifically fulfilled by John the Baptist. Uh, but it also applies to us today. So first let's think about John the Baptist, and then let's think about how it applies to us today, right? So John the Baptist is um, this guy who was born, and his holy job uh, was to prepare the way for Christ to come. I love the words that were spoken about him in Luke chapter 1, verses 76 and following. And it says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet, where? Into the way of peace. John's only purpose in life was to prepare the way of Christ so that we might be guided into the perfect peace of our Savior. But what we often forget about this John guy who prepared the way for Christ, who helped people get ready for Christ's coming, is that he was out there. He was a little what we might call strange. Mark 1.6 says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. That's a little bit out there. Okay? It's like all the weird people you can think about combined into one person. Preparing the way for Christ often is, is hard. It's hard to remove the barriers in our life that have been built up that keep us from seeing Christ's presence in our lives. And the implications that we can learn from John the Baptist's life is that uh, it's going to cost us some things, material things, social status, time, right? He was in camel's hair and eating wild locusts and out in the wilderness. And so there's some questions that we have to, to face if we're going to prepare the way, if we're going to get ready for Christ to come into our lives. And the ultimate is, is simply this, right? Will you do anything, absolutely anything, to remove the barriers to Christ coming into your life? Are you willing to do that? Will you cut the material things out of your life that keep you from seeing Christ? Are you willing to give up your social status? I love, I love the McMahon story, right? The, the joy, the, the glory of a step backward. Wow. Such a needed testimony in our world today. How will you make time in your schedule for Jesus, right? How will you make time in your schedule for Jesus? Because here's the reality. Making time may mean less money in your paycheck. It may mean fewer hours of entertainment or giving up experiences that you would really like to have and maybe are good things. But Jesus is more than worth it. What are you willing to give up to prepare the way to, to, to remove the barriers to Christ coming into your life? And then the question is, is, can you help others remove the barriers to Christ? Can you model that? The reality is that most people haven't seen a Jesus follower close up. They see them at a distance. They have ideas, stereotypes. 
but they've not been invited into that person's life. They've not been invited into their home. They've not been invited into how they make decisions or, or what it looks like for them to go and be a part of a church family. And through all that, we must remember that we must pray for them because we can't change anyone. Only Jesus can. So the first thing you have to do is to get ready for Christ. And, and you get ready for Christ by uh, letting him come into your life and, and remove the barriers that have been built up. But after that, after that, we have to remember the gospel recipe. We've got to know the gospel recipe, right? Isaiah goes on. It says, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? And he says, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you've been a person of faith for any amount of time, you've likely heard a spiritual leader, a preacher say, you need to be sharing your faith with others, right? And, and most of us, I think like Isaiah, kind of stand in that moment and say, well, what in the world do you want me to say, right? It's very much like the beginning of this. A voice says, cry, and I said, well, what do you, what do you want me to cry? What do you want me to say? And then he gives a place to start, right? And it's this idea, this illustration that God is eternal, the word of God stands forever, and we as humans, we are not. We are not. You know, many people are scared to, to share their faith. They don't know the recipe for, for sharing Christ because they're afraid of the questions that they'll get back. I won't be able to answer the questions that people have. But the reality is that people's questions oftentimes boil back to four pretty basic ones. Who is God? What's wrong with humanity? Who is Jesus and how am I saved? And inside of that, the scriptures give us four answers to those questions that, that work together coherently. We see that God loves us and that he has a plan for our life. And that's the answer to who is God. And we ask the question, what's wrong with humanity? We, we read in scripture in Romans 3.23 that humanity is tainted by sin and therefore separated from God. And as a result, we can't know God's wonderful plan for our lives. And that's why the answer to who is Jesus is important. That Jesus Christ is God's only provision for our sin. And through Jesus, we can have our sins forgiven and a right relationship restored with him, right? Pardoned and paid for. And then finally, how am I saved? We read in the scriptures that we must place our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior in order to receive the gift of salvation and know God's wonderful plan for our lives. You may know the first three of those things to be true. But if you haven't acted on the fourth one, then you're not a follower of Christ. You can know the answers, but if you haven't acted on faith in Jesus, then you're not a follower of Christ. <clears throat> so, I knew that mom's caramel corn was real. I knew that it was a sign of Christmas being here. But that didn't mean that I could make it for everyone else, right? I had no idea what the recipe was. I didn't know how to make it. Now, after the third batch, I had the process memorized. I could do it. But here's the thing. I think for many of us, our hesitancy, our lack of peace comes from a lack of, of knowing Christ. It comes from a lack of, of knowing the recipe for inviting Christ into our lives. And it comes from a lack of peace and, and not being able to share that with others. And so I would encourage you, right, what is your recipe for teaching the truth about Christ? Do you know those four answers? 
to those four questions. Pick a recipe for sharing your faith and start making disciples. God's story isn't changing, right? The word of our God will stand forever. So pick your recipe and start making disciples. Prepare the way, remove those barriers. Have a clear understanding of the gospel. Remember the recipe that he's given to us. And finally, share the results. These last few verses of Isaiah say, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Go tell it on the mountain, right? Find a place where people will notice and scream with all your might, look at what my God did. We love stories at CCC. Why do we love them? Because when people share what God is doing in their lives, you catch a glimpse of what he could do in you. You're encouraged. And when you share what God is doing in your life, he creates opportunities to, to share that gospel recipe of how you found peace and comfort in Christ alone. So this week, how will you prepare the way for Jesus? How will you remember the gospel recipe and how will you share your story? But more so, how will you help someone else prepare for Christ? How can you share the message of comfort and peace that Isaiah shared with the people of Israel? Christmas. It promises peace. And in many ways, it delivers. But there's still the peace that only Christ can give. Right? And as human beings, many times we are brought to a point where all we can do is stand in the middle of the chaos of this world and point to the one who gives us that perfect peace. There's that beautiful moment on Christmas morning for many of us, right? Everyone's opened their presents. Everyone's engaged with each other, and they're, they're getting out their new toys or whatever they have, and all seems to be at peace. But if there is one thing that I've found as a parent that interrupts that moment of peace on Christmas morning, it's batteries. Right? One kid needs batteries for their toys, and as they come up to ask you, the other kid is taking the last of the batteries that you thought you had enough of. I mean, it's just, and then chaos ensues. As soon as you don't have enough batteries, chaos ensues. Christmas offers peace, but that peace, it's fleeting. It's true in all of our lives, guys. We can find bits and, and pieces of peace in this world, in our relationships with one another, in the material things of this world, experiences we have, but it's fleeting. Instead, it's the ability to know that in the middle of the chaos, we can turn and point and shout from the mountaintop that I know the God who gives perfect peace, that truly gives us a sense of peace. Christ's community, we were born in one of those moments. And in fact, we have thrived on those moments. We're in the middle of chaos we can simply say we want to join Jesus in the mess.
It was in that moment that Lee and Rachel realized that they had 100 plus friends that weren't at peace with Jesus, that Christ's community was birthed in their hearts. And as a result, a place for outsiders to find Jesus and join their lives with his mission was born. One person at a time, that list was engaged and loved and invited in. It was in that moment of chaos that, that we were unsettled about reaching our Hispanic neighbors. And, and Christ Community Midland was birthed in the hearts of our leaders. And a group of believers has been sent to go stand in the chaos and shine a light brightly for Christ. And Christ Community, as we think about our own personal lives and our lives together as a collective church family, right? It is in those moments of chaos when we can come together and say, we don't have any of this figured out, but we know the one who does. We know the one who offers to us that perfect peace, that Christ will shine brightly and receive all the glory. We are at our best when we recognize chaos, stand in the middle of it, and point towards Christ because he is our prince of peace. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So as you get ready for Christmas this year, make sure that you get ready for Christ. Prepare the way in your life for him. Remember the gospel recipe and share the results of what God has done. And truly be ready for Christ to come at Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus, we just place ourselves at your feet this morning. I love that when we gather together, we, we seem to find a sense of peace. just one picture of how the body of Christ encourages us to continue to seek your face. We are so thankful, God, that you sent your son Jesus to earth to bring comfort to the uncomfortable. And so, God, knowing that, that you seek us out when we are uncomfortable, help us to be uncomfortable this morning. Point us to those places where we aren't sure what to do and allow us to see you in it. Point us to those places where maybe we've tried to grab too much control and, and now we're scared and, and we need your help in it. Give us peace in the middle of the chaos, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we do so by remembering what Christ did for us at the end of his life, when he died on the cross. And so, uh, as we stand and as we sing, if you've been baptized and are a believer in Christ, you can come forward and take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice. And when you do that, you're remembering, right? You're remembering what he did for you. Pardoning your sins and paying for them, right? You have no debt if you are a believer in him. We also encourage you to respond through generous giving. We also uh, invite you, if you don't know that piece, or maybe you've never acted on having faith in Christ. You know all the answers, but you've never actually given your life to him. I'd love to have a conversation with you in the back as we sing and as we respond this morning. Would you stand with us?
Let every creature rise and breathe Their grateful praises to our King Angels descend with songs again And earth repeats a loud amen to cry, amen. 